Hello everyone and welcome back to JTalk Extra Time. As usual, all of the latest news from J2 and J3 is coming your way over the next uh, hour or so. I'm John Steele, taking care of part one this week, so I'll run you through about half of the weekend's J2 uh, games. Then you'll hear from James Taylor, he has the rest of the weekend action. In part three, James and I got together to chat about the state of play in J2 uh, as it stands. And uh, yeah, between you and me, it's a bit of a, a Canna's Hour special. I think James had a few things to get off his chest about the state of uh, state of affairs at Canna's Hour. So we'll be talking mainly about Canna's Hour when we uh, get together in part three. For now, though, uh, let's talk about some of the action from J2 Round 26. The games were all played on uh, Saturday and Sunday at the weekend. Two games on Saturday, and they both finished goalless, uh, but there's still plenty to talk about, I think. At Ajinomoto Stadium, it was Tokyo Verdi nil, Tokushima nil. No way through for Verdi in this game, and uh, that means they relinquish second place in the table to inform Jubilo Iwata, who we'll uh, hear about later. Defences were generally on top throughout this game. Verdi's best chance was a second-half header from Kaito Chida that cleared the crossbar. Meanwhile, at the other end, Verdi's goalie, Matthias, had to make a smart save from a point-blank range header. And uh, yeah, nil-nil was the final score. Incredibly, that's eight games in a row where Verdi haven't won a home game. So for them to have been second in the table for so long is uh, pretty incredible, really. Tokushima at 18th. Uh, just a point clear of the relegation zone. So Tokyo Verdi nil, Tokushima nil was the full-time score. It was also nil-nil in the big relegation six-pointer between Yamaguchi and Iwaki. So no goals in this game, but plenty of excitement. Early on, Tayo Igarashi went clean through and he could have put Yamaguchi ahead, but he took a heavy touch that allowed Iwaki goalie Shuhei Shikano to save at his feet. On the half-hour mark at the other end, Iwaki's Shu Yoshizawa headed against the inside of the post, and when the ball ran along the goal line, it seemed like Yamaguchi defender Henan was surely going to score an own goal, but the Brazilian brilliantly adjusted his feet uh, to clear. An incredible piece of defending from Henan. So it was nil-nil at half-time. In the second half, Iwaki seemed to gain the upper hand, Another header from a corner kissed the top of the Yamaguchi crossbar, and the home side also survived a humdinger of a goalmouth scramble after that. Yamaguchi then hit the woodwork themselves with just four minutes to go. Seigo Kobayashi was the unlucky man seeing his header come back off the frame of the goal. So it finished Yamaguchi nil, Iwaki nil. Yamaguchi six games unbeaten with six straight clean sheets with Juan Esnaida in charge. Uh, no, I can't believe it either. Yamaguchi is 16th, four points clear of the relegation zone at the moment. Meanwhile, Iwaki are three points and three places further back, but they're also in good form, six games unbeaten for them as well. The rest of the J2 round 26 games were played on Sunday, uh, apart from the game between Akita and the leaders Machida, that was scheduled for Soyu Stadium on Sunday evening, but was postponed due to the heavy flooding in the Akita region. So uh, yeah, our thoughts are with everyone in uh, in the Tohoku area, in Akita especially, and hope everybody's doing as well, as well as they can in the circumstances. There's no new date for the rearranged game yet, but yeah, Akita uh, against Machida was uh, off. 
In the games that did take place on Sunday, there was a big three points for Mito as they tried to pull away from the drop zone. They won 3-1 at home to Montedio Yamagata and they got off to a perfect start, taking the lead in the 12th minute. Motoki Ohara, impressive uh, all evening, he bustled through some pretty poor Yamagata defending on the edge of the penalty area and then crossed low from the right for Yuki Kusano to sweep in from 12 yards. The visitors drew level from the penalty spot on the stroke of half-time though. Rui Yokoyama was pulled down by Hayata Ishii for a clear foul. Uh, after some deliberation, the referee decided that it was inside the box and Yokoyama himself tucked away the penalty. So Mito won, Yamagata won at the break. Right at the start of the second half, Mito were awarded a penalty of their own when a diving header from Kusano hit the arm of Yamagata defender Yuta Kumamoto. Vehement protests from the Yamagata players led to a long stoppage, but after about five minutes of arm-waving and pontification, Kusano placed his penalty in off the post to make it Mito 2, Yamagata 1. Yamagata's big chance to equalise came late on, Mito allowed the ball to bounce inside their penalty area, never a good idea uh, if you're Mito, and Junya Takahashi fired against the inside of the post from close range and the chance uh, went away. Mito then sealed the win in stoppage time, a breakaway was started by the impressive Ohana, which led to Mizuki Ando feeding Shimon Teranuma, and his shot from the edge of the box was deflected up into the air and looped over the goalkeeper Masaki Goto and into the back of the net uh, for a, a great finish uh, to the game for Mito. So it finished Mito 3, Yamagata 1. Mito up to 17th now, three points clear of the relegation zone. Yamagata are 12th, but only two points ahead of Mito. There's a group of five teams that are clustered together on 32 points. At the JIT Recycling Stadium, there was a stunning victory for 8th place Gunma away at Kofu. It finished Kofu nil, Gunma 3. Kofu slipped slightly down the table to 5th. Gunma went ahead thanks to a superb strike from Taiki Amagasa in the 9th minute of this game. He took aim from about 20 yards and sent a left-footed laser beam past the startled Kohei Kawata and into the top corner. I doubt Amagasa's ever struck a ball better in his life. It's an absolutely brilliant goal. Kofu then spent the rest of the first half trying to get back on level terms. Peter Utaka went around the gunma keeper Masatoshi Kushibiki but couldn't finish, he slipped over at the crucial moment. Kushibiki then made a superb flying save from a Manato Shinada free kick and a header from Shion Inoue hit the crossbar but Gunma held firm and went into the second half 1-0 ahead. Gunma then doubled their lead just after the hour. A shot from the edge of the box from Koki Kazama was parried by Kawata in the Kofu goal but the ball was only cleared to the edge of the box where Ryo Sato slammed it into the back of the net. Another superb strike to make it Kofu nil, Gunma 2. Then in second half stoppage time it was 3-0. A towering header from Motoki Nagakura sent Shu Hiramatsu racing into the Kofu penalty area. He set up Nagakura with a nice backheel pass and Nagakura fired another powerful and accurate shot into the back of the net from about 16 yards. So Kofu nil, Gunma 3 was how the game finished. A fantastic win for Gunma who are 6 games unbeaten. Kofu meanwhile in 5th place are on 43 points, 3 adrift of the automatic promotion places. At Kokuritsu Kyogijo in the capital, 
There was a new J2 attendance record set, 47,628 uh, customers inside the stadium to see a royally entertaining game. It finished Shimizu S-Pulse 2, Jeff Chiba 2. Shimizu, of course, the, uh, the home team uh, for this game. It was their, their home fixture. Sixth place, Shimizu took the lead with a brilliant Yuta Kamiya goal in the 15th minute. He brilliantly curled the ball beyond Shota Arai and into the top corner from the edge of the box. So, uh, yeah, most of the uh, supporters inside the stadium of the, of the Orange Persuasion were happy early on. The lead was short-lived, though. 15th place, Jeff drew level less than two minutes later. Ryota Miki was given time and space to put in a shot from 25 yards, which took a big deflection off a Shimizu defender and wrong-footed Shuichi Gonda in the Shimizu goal ended up uh, going in. In the second half, Jeff stunned the home side by going in front right at the start of the second period. A high ball into Shimizu's penalty area was headed down by Jeff defender Daisuke Suzuki for Hiro Komori. He expertly chested the ball down and then swept it past Gonda from 12 yards. So Shimizu won Jeff 2 right at the start of the second period. After that, Shimizu threw the kitchen sink at Jeff in search of an equaliser. They were nearly handed a goal when Jeff defender Shogo Sasaki managed to pass straight to Shimizu's Osehun, but Arai, the goalkeeper, was able to block O's shot. Arai then had to dive across his goal at full stretch to keep out an effort from Takeru Kishimoto, who got on the end of a left-wing cross from O. After that, Shimizu defender Yuji Takahashi sent a looping header onto the Jeff crossbar as uh, yeah, Shimizu tried everything to get back, back on level terms. It was 2-2 in the 66th minute though. Kishimoto and ex-Jeff defender Kengo Kitazume played a 1-2 down the Shimizu right and then Kishimoto's low cross fell just right for Benjamin Kololi to score at close range. There were more Shimizu chances as the game went into stoppage time. A shot from Kololi was blocked when Takashi Inui had played him clean through. And then Takahashi, the big defender again, headed just wide from a free kick. But the final score in a pulsating match was Shimizu 2, Jeff Chiba 2. A superb game, at least in terms of entertainment. As mentioned, Shimizu stay inside the playoff zone, just about, in 6th place. With uh, Jeff in 15th and 5 points clear of the drop zone. Okay, I think that's all from me for part one. Uh, please stay tuned. After some music, James Taylor has the remaining five games from the J2 match day for you. Thanks, John. James Taylor here with the rest of Sunday's games, starting with a big one at the bottom of the table. Last place, Omiya Ardija, hosting 20th place, Tochigi SC. Both sides added reinforcements during the transfer window, but none of them were available for this game. Both teams had also been in action on Wednesday in the Emperor's Cup, so had a quick turnaround before this match. Omiya had the first chance, a free kick in the fifth minute that hit the post. Omiya keeper Takashi Kasahara made a couple of good saves, and Tochigi's Wataru Hiramatsu blazed a free header wide in first half stoppage time. In the second half, all chances either went straight to the goalies or missed the target, and it ended goalless. Tochigi stayed 20th on 27 points, Omiya remained bottom on 18 points. Between them on 27 points are Zuegen Kanazawa who picked up their first win in five games against an alarmingly lacklustre Vegalta Sendai. Kanazawa went in front in the seventh minute with Ryuhei Oishi's first goal of the season from Yohei Toyoda's headed flick. Kanazawa had plenty of chances to double the lead before half-time. Keita Fujimura hit the bar 
Oishi put a chance wide and Toyoda and Junior Kato both had a couple of chances. The visitors equalised in the 66th minute, Yuta Goke getting the last touch on a ball that keeper Yuto Shirai and defender Masaya Kojima knocked into each other. But Kyohei Sugira scored a delicious back heel in the 78th minute from a low Hayato Otani cross to put Kanazawa back in front and they held on for the 2-1 win, ending a run of four straight defeats. They draw level on points with Tochigi, while Sendai are 13th on 32 points, just five clear of relegation. Also on 32 points are Rasso Kumamoto, whose poor home form continued with a 3-1 loss to fellow Kyushu side Oita Trinita. Kumamoto's Kohei Kuroki opened the scoring in the 36th minute with a beautiful volley, arriving unimpeded at the far side of the area to meet a corner. Oita drew level before half-time though, Samuel following in from 6 yards, a move he tried earlier but put wide. Kazuki Fujimoto made it 2 in the 53rd minute, running onto a very short pass, 8 yards from goal, and sidestepping keeper Ryuga Tashiro to give himself a fairly easy finish. Katsunori Ueebisu added the 3rd in the 73rd minute, a close-range finish after a Tashiro save and a lucky bounce in the aftermath of a corner. Kumamoto are 11th, Oita move up to 4th, level on points with 3rd place Tokyo Verdi. There was an entertaining game at the City Light Stadium where Fajiano Okayama met Vivar and Nagasaki. Nagasaki's Go Hatano made a good early save from Kodai Sano and Nagasaki youngster Serin Sario Joppu headed over from 6 yards before Isa Sakamoto slotted in from close range to put Okayama ahead in the 37th minute. The lead lasted just 3 minutes. A low cross, or was it a shot, from Joppu was just right for Takashi Sawada to run onto and score low in off the post. Nagasaki then took the lead just before half-time, Joppu's first goal, converting a low cross from the left side of the penalty area. Okayama made it 2 all in the 61st minute, Nagasaki failed to clear properly, and Yudai Tanaka stuck out a foot in front of his marker to direct a cross past Hatano. 2-2 the final score, Okayama rise slightly to 9th, 7 points off the playoffs, while Nagasaki dropped to 7th, but are level on points with Shimizu in 6th. And finally, Fujieda Mai FC are still without a win against either of their prefectural rivals as they lost 4-1 away to Jubilo Iwata. Fujieda actually went ahead in the 6th minute, Ryo Watanabe's 13th goal of the season, a cool finish when one-on-one with the keeper. That was as good as it got for them, Shota Kaneko equalising with a 20th minute penalty after Taisuke Mizuno had tripped him and Rikia Uehara putting Iwata ahead just before half-time, a free back post header from 3 yards. Kaneko got his second and Iwata's third goal three minutes into the second half. A calamitous attempt at ball control on the goal line by Fujieda keeper Tomoki Ueda under pressure from Ryo Jermaine and Kaneko shot past their prone bodies from 12 yards. Jermaine rounded out the scoring in the 86th minute, converting a low cross from 6 yards. Fujieda are 10th on 35 points but with the most goals conceded in the division. Iwata move up into the automatic promotion spots, two points ahead of Verdi, Eight behind leaders Machida. That's it for the roundup. Next, you'll hear me chatting to John. Welcome back, everyone. I think that's all of the J2 action from the weekend rounded up for you. Uh, John Steele here again, but I'm joined uh, with by James Taylor now for a, a kind of a chat segment of the pod. James, I suppose we could call it. It's been a while since we uh, since we talked together. James, how's it going? Uh, yeah, it has been a while, hasn't it? I'm, I'm all right. I had a, had a busy, what, six weeks or so. How are you? Uh, yeah, very, very similar. Uh, just glad I checked the weather forecast, James. I believe uh, Tokyo, uh, Yokohama is going to be cloudy tomorrow, which doesn't sound like much. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been very hot and I'm sure Kanazawa is a similar 
So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, hanging on in there, but I'm a bit worried that summer's going to be even hotter than than usual, uh, I think. Uh, yeah, crazy, crazy times. But um, w- without further ado, James, we should probably uh, we should probably give the listeners uh, what what they want, and uh, and uh, yeah, maybe maybe give Canis our supporters what 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 they uh, want based on what I see on Twitter recently. So we, we're going to start our kind of chat by talking about the the Canis our game uh, from the weekend. Obviously, it was a, a very important win and a, a good performance, winning two one at home against uh, Sendai. Um, but yeah, I think you wanted to hear my thoughts on on Kanazawa, perhaps initially, sort of a, as an outsider, uh, mm. if if that makes sense. I think um, it's difficult to to kind of gauge just watching the highlights of this game. But I thought it seemed like Kanazawa played pretty well, and uh, mm. were were worthy winners. I don't think Sendai could have had any complaints. I think what was not clear from the highlights, and uh, maybe you can fill us in a little bit, is um, I'm not sure how well Kanazawa played in relation to how badly Sendai played. So the Sendai were really, really poor, really disappointing. So um, how well Kanazawa played in order to beat quite an, an out-of-sorts or under-par Sendai team is, is something you'll you'll have to, to, to fill us uh, in on. I think what is concerning for Kanazawa is having such a good win and then seeing the league table and seeing that it hasn't lifted them out of the relegation zone. I know, I know they're only in there on goal difference um, now, but but still it's uh, it's been a really bad run of form, hasn't it, the last month or so? I think was it five straight defeats going into here? four straight defeats maybe four. four straight defeats going into this game. So obviously really important to win, but also kind of um, that's tempered by the fact that they've won and then still still um, very much in the in the sort of relegation mix. And I, I think you know based on conversations we had earlier in the season, it didn't seem like it was going to be that way uh, this year. And I think looking at the squad, there are a few players that really caught the eye um, on Sunday. I like Fujimura in midfield. Um, I know Victor really likes him as well. Ruhei Oishi, you know, his goal, that early goal was beautifully uh, taken. Um, there's Yohei Toyoda in the squad um, as well, who's a useful uh, useful kind of battering ram up front, isn't he? Yuto Shirai, the goalkeeper, we, we talk about every every time. He's he's really good, even though he um, perhaps, perhaps was part, at least partly at fault for the goal that they conceded, mm-hmm. wasn't he, in this game? And then I think Kyohei Sugura, we should probably talk about. I think he must be one of the most underappreciated or underrated forwards in the division. Yeah. Um, because every time I see him play, he is impressive. He's got a great touch. He's got a real eye for goal. Uh, and the, the goal he scored was, was excellent, wasn't it? That, that tap in. He might even, I thought his header might even have been given um, yeah. the one that was clawed out from on the goal line. I think. My gut feeling is it didn't quite go over. I think maybe some of the ball was over the line, but not enough to, to to give the goal. But he just always seems to be in the right place. He always seems to get chances, and more often than not, uh, he scores. I think he's on nine for the season now. Yeah, is that and that's a, he's that's a personal Pretty best. Fun. I think I don't think yeah. he's ever scored more than that. So um, yeah, he he's in danger of um for a team that's near the bottom of J two James. I'd say he's in danger of uh, being you know playing too well. And uh, mm. perhaps getting noticed uh, in a way that that Kanazawa supporters might uh, might not like, and it might be attention from clubs higher up the uh, up the food chain. So that that's my thoughts on Kanazawa. Um, yeah, it's just surprising to see them down there at the bottom. I didn't think. Um, I know there's a preseason talk about maybe top ten um, mm. coming from the club. I never really felt like that was realistic. I don't know if I was confident enough saying that on the pod at the time, in case I upset y- y- yourself no. or Victor. But um, did say that. Yeah, I, I thought lower lower mid table was probably with, with the squad that they have at their disposal seemed reasonable. So to see them kind of in 
And, uh, you know, I think we have to be uh, realistic. There's sort of 16 games to go. They're in that relegation dogfight, aren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. That is, uh, that, that's surprising from a neutral. So it must be surprising and quite disappointing from, from a Canada supporter's perspective. I'm conscious that we haven't talked about Sendai much yet, but, um, it's, you know, you're, you're the guy, the go-to guy for Canada. And I said, what, 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 what do you think of my comments? And um, am I, how far off base am I? Um, in terms of, of, of the, the, in relation to Sendai, Sendai were pretty clueless for much of this game, except for 25 minutes in the second half, during which time they bundled in that equaliser. Um, it was really easy, too easy for Kanazawa to take the lead. A better team would have been three up at half time, like Kanazawa were early in the season when these teams met, actually. Um, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sugiura is just, I don't know what we'd do without him. Um, in 2020, he had his, his then career best, eight goals and eight assists. 2021, he was hardly used. He popped up with a really important goal in stoppage time uh, away to Sagamihara uh, to get us all a one-all draw. Then last year again, he was excellent. Um, I think he had seven, seven goals or eight goals last year, and then now already he's on nine. He can score them all. He scores his back heels. He scores with the outside of his boot, flicks. He scores left-footed, right-footed. Scores with his head. He's he's just amazing. Uh, he's he's fantastic. He's doing so well. And um, yeah, but well, at the end of last year, the Kanazawa manager. Uh, Masaki Yanagishita said, wa Next year will be different. He repeated that at the start of this year. Kotoshi wa kawarimasu. This year will be different. And like you said, we had what looked like a good off-season. Although the defence looked a bit light. And we're hoping, as usual, for a rookie to step up. The club's slogan for the season is Saiko, the best. Aiming for the best ever season. Rekishi Saiko no season. Aiming for top half, top six. Club said it wants to be in J1 for a 20th anniversary in 2026. We usually start seasons slowly, but this year we started slowly, but it was concerning in that the poor run went on a little longer than usual and the quality of our play in those games was very, very low, like a group who'd never met rather than one that had just spent two months away at training camp together. Then we suddenly had a good run starting with that 5-2 demolition of Yamaguchi. The attack clicked, defence seemed to have settled, or the attack was compensating for those defensive frailties. To illustrate that point, in the uh, 16 games where we've conceded first, we've managed only two draws. In the eight games where we've scored first, we've won all eight. The problem is that when the attack falters, as it has recently, we have almost no chance of winning because the defence is so weak. Another interesting statistic, Yuto Shirai ranks, if not first in the league, then very highly for saves. But when you consider how many goals he's conceded, very few of them his fault, it shows you how many shots Kanazawa are giving up. And very few players for Kanazawa have come out of the first half of the season with any credit, really. Sugiura almost always delivers when we need him. He's just set a new career high for goals. Junya Kato has six goals, is linking play well. Um, Yuki Kajiura 
making the most of his minutes. He's very young and he's still learning a lot, but he's really developing. You can see game by game. Masaya Kojima's mostly done well at right back. Ryuhei Oishi, who you mentioned, he played really well against Sendai. He's had a lot of limited opportunities. Not a lot of. He's had limited opportunities. And he's been used in a different position to usual. Usually he's a wide player, a winger. The last couple of weeks he's been used as a striker. But he has made the most of his chances when, when he's been given them most of the time. You'll note in that group of players that I mentioned there, only one defender. What about Kanazawa's tactics? Well, we know that Yanagishita loves 4-4-2 counter-attack. Generally doesn't make many changes. But it doesn't seem to be a plan B. At times, it seems like there's barely a plan A. And often teams know that, like with the game against Jeff the week before last, if they just make Kanazawa pass it across the defence, eventually someone's going to fluff it up and give the opposition a chance. And probably they'll score because when you're down near the bottom of the league, as we are, teams don't need many chances to score. What about the defence then? We've got 44 goals conceded in 26 games. That's the fourth worst in J2. Kojima's been all right, but he has a tendency to misplace his passes up the touchline. Shoji at centre-back is supposed to be a defensive leader, but too often out-jumped. Too often simple passes are wildly inaccurate. Uh, his fellow centre-back, Ryota Inoue, is a rookie. He has a tendency to step out of the defensive line at inopportune moments. His concentration just, just goes. We've got Yuto Nagamine at left-back. He's great going forward, really exciting, but increasingly a liability at the back. He's often out of position. Uh, another centre-back, Tiger Son, I thought he was doing okay with occasional lapses. But he's disappeared, as have uh, uh, full-backs Fuga, Sakurai and Shunya Mori. Also disappeared is a left-back, Leo Baia, who was great at the start of the season until teams cottoned on to the fact that he either can't or won't use his right foot. In this day and age, John, it's 2023. Out, out, outrageous, outrageous. Have you, have you come across a pre- professional footballer in this day and age who absolutely cannot or will not use one of his feet? Uh, well, I think, I'm trying to think. There's probably quite a few J2 players uh, shifting nervously in their seats at this this point. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, take your point. It's not, not great for Just, someone that plays on one side of the pitch. So we, we've got to hope that our, our new loan signing or returning uh, centre-back Norimichi Yamamoto can get up to speed quickly and play well as he did in 2019 when he earned his move up to uh, Yokohama F Marinos. But that's the defence. So the midfield has mostly been all right. Everything tends to go through Keita Fujimura. If he has a bad game, then we're screwed. Unfortunately, his bad games seem to be more frequent than than in previous years, perhaps. And when he's dispossessed, he's quite slow to recover. Um, but when he's on on his game, we we do pretty well. Um, but sometimes we have games where the midfield just disappears. Nothing gets forward to the strikers. They barely touch the ball for, for most of the game. And when the opposition, like Tochigi a few weeks ago, Tochigi attacked at will, there was no one in the middle of the pitch for Kanazawa. It was, mm. They just disappeared. Mm-hmm. Then up front, aside from Sugiura, pickings are quite slim. Uh, Masamichi Hayashi's in a rut. 
uh, missing chances he would have taken last year. He's been left out of the squad a few times recently, completely, uh, which is is surprising. When when you consider, I think, like um, Shion Niwa had a, a long uh, scoreless run in 2021 when we were struggling, but um, Yanagishita kept picking Yanagishita kept picking him, and and it, he came good eventually. I'm surprised that that Yanagishita has. has Maybe not given up on Hayashi, but has has dropped him. But Toyota has struggled, but he he did all right in the first half um, against Sendai. But he's a very limited player. And then there's Jefferson Bayano, the new Romarino. He's useless. Can't <laughs> pass, can't cross, can't dribble, can't tackle, can't stay on side, can't shoot on target, can't win headers. He's huge and muscly but so easily muscled off the ball, which means increasingly we're using wingers like Oishi or Otani or Shimada up front. They're fast. But finishing is often not good enough. Oishi had three good chances against Jeff last week, didn't take any of them. He scored a good goal, that you, as you rightly, rightly said, against Sendai. He, he took that really well. It was a great finish, which I suppose shows the value of, of keeping the faith. Yanagishita um, mm. gave him another chance. And um, it paid off. He did have another chance in the first half, but he sliced it wide. Um, so, well, yeah, Yanagishita often complains after matches that the same players are making the same mistakes and that he doesn't have viable options to replace them. But who scouted them? Who signed them? Who's training them? Who's explaining Sounds the like tactics? A, it's like a Conservative MP talking about the economy. Yeah. Who's been in power for 13 years? Yeah, of course the players have to take responsibility for their own performances and their own lack of improvement. But so does the manager, and I think actually so does the general manager, who by now should have found a way to get an effective defensive coach on the staff, and found a way to make Yanagish to listen to him. Mainly, I feel sorry for the staff at the club. There aren't many of them. Where it's a small, a small staff full-time workers and there's a lot of volunteers that work on match days they give up their match day experience they don't watch the match they stand at the ticket gates and stuff they don't get to watch or maybe that's good actually they don't get to watch <laughs> don't get to watch i was i was thinking the same thing like if i pro- promise if i volunteer you won't make me watch yeah. the, the second half yeah no yeah I'll, I'll pay you to let me not watch <laughs> this team but these the, the stuff they work so hard they put on loads of events they get special guests they organize fan club perks they come up with all this new merchandise ticket promotions in association with local newspapers and the j league public viewings at interesting locations and these theme nights like the this week was the sumo night and so often those efforts are met with an abject performance from the team on the pitch this was a rare occasion where a special theme night went well so mm-hmm. Kanazawa are our 21st they need results we need them fast because our last four games of the season are at home to Yamagata away to Machida then at home to Oita and Okayama but before that we still have games against Mito, Yamaguchi, Iwaki, Akita, Tokushima and at home to Omiya at the end of this month so mm. we need to hope that this win against Sendai is the start of something as not just papering over the cracks and the precursor to another five game winless run or one win in ten 
which is what we had going into this match. Mm, mm, so, I think. Mm. To, to go back to the start of the season and to Yanagishi's promise that this year would be different, Kotoshiwa Kawarimas, we find ourselves in the relegation zone with the worst form in the league. Because another thing we've learned about Yanagishi in recent years is that he has very little idea of how to arrest a slump. And again, we have one of the worst defences in the league. Nani mo kawattenai, John. Nani mo kawattenai. Nothing has changed. We're on course, not for a rekshi saiko no season, but for a rekshi sayaku no season, the worst season in our history. And as for being in J1 in 2026, the trage- trajectory that we are on has us in the Hokushinetsu Regional League in 2026. Mm. Something needs to change. I don't know if that's the playing staff needs to change again. The tactics need to change. The manager needs to change. The coaching staff, the general manager, the recruitment. I don't know. But something needs to change. If not now, at least at the end of the season. We also need to bear in mind that the club is pinning a lot of its hopes on being in J2 at least for the new stadium that we're getting next year. Mm. Mm. So that's mm. that's what I think about Kanazawa. Do, do, um, do, do you feel do you feel better, James? That 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 sounded very cathartic. I hope that it was cathartic for Victor as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Victor's like punching the air. I had to pull over, pull over in his car, and like you know, punch the air a few times. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I. Um. What I really uh, like is hearing from our passionate uh, supporters. Um, to be honest, and I, I've reached the age now where I, I listen to a lot of other podcasts that are non-football related, but just hearing people are passionate about the subject is uh, very inspiring for me. And uh, yeah, I, I, I feel that very keenly. I can, uh, to just to derail the, the, the topic completely, I can remember at Stoke the, the season that we got relegated, we won at home against Arsenal in August, mm. uh, 1-0. And to put that in perspective, Stoke do not beat Arsenal very often, you know, mm. to, to, to win one nil at home to Arsenal is a good thing. But I uh, was filled with this terrible sense of uh, dread after the game mm. because I knew we'd played uh, very poorly mm. and we'd snatched a win with a late goal. And it, so it proved to be that we, we ended up going down at the end of the season. At the time, um, a lot of people were like, well, what's all the fuss about? We, we've just beaten Arsenal. Mm. And but there were there were kind of warning signs there that things weren't weren't, weren't quite right. And I wonder if um, you know obviously Kanazawa have had these slumps with Yanagishita in charge before. I'm, I know Vic, Victor's not here to to put his case across right now, but I think he's in the Yanagishita out kind of camp. Yeah, I think so. And yeah. I just wonder if you think even if they sort of go on a good run for the rest of the season and end up finishing lower mid-table, which is where I think they, in terms of squad talent, they probably should net out over mm. a 42-game season. Do you think Yanagista's goose is, is cooked at this point? You mentioned the new stadium. They're obviously going to need a bit of a kind of buzz. Um, mm. I was thinking some kind of foreign, uh, big-ish name manager might be, might be something that they'll try. And I, I perhaps wouldn't have mentioned that other than, you know, the, the job that um, Juana Schneider's been doing at Yamaguchi over the last month or so. Um, I know this is recency bias in, in full effect, but you can imagine Kanazawa casting sort of envious eyes over there, can't you? And thinking, well, why don't we hire somebody um, with a Katakana name uh, for the new stadium for next season, make like a clean clean break and a clean slate? Do you, do you think there's any, any merit in, in that argument? Or do you, do you think there's any do you think there's any chance of Yanagish to take in charge uh, next season is basically my question. I think if, if we're in J2 next year, there is a chance that he will still be the manager because... He's kept us in J2. 
and I think we seem like a bit of a in those in in that regard a bit, perhaps a conservative club in that they don't want to make too many mm. they don't want to be on the Omia system of changing manager no, every no, match. no 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 on the other hand personally I don't think he will be in charge next year regardless of what league we're in I think this is the third year in a row where we've been in the relegation picture and 2020 there wasn't a relegation but we 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 would have been in in the picture had there been so I think and to be honest I think the end of 2021 would have been a good time for him to say goodbye or for the club to say thanks and goodbye Mm. but last year they changed all the coaching staff and um, brought in a, uh, assistant manager Kyokazu Kudo and um, things were a bit better although many of the same problems remained and now this is the seventh his seventh year in charge and yeah like I said nothing nothing's changed mm. really mm. and so I think yeah I, I Looking, perhaps looking for a foreign foreign manager, or, or uh, it doesn't have to be a foreign, just a, another manager. I, I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, angling for him to to be sacked immediately or anything like that. I, I think that would, I don't know. I mean, the other the other the other week, last week, I think I, I said on Twitter, like if we lose to Olmia at, at home, perhaps his position is untenable. But we've beaten Sendai, and it's amazing how what one win can do for your mood. <laughs> mm, sure, sure, sure. Um, on the other hand, we are still twenty-first. So, mm. yeah, it's and but and running out of time. If they're going to make a change, they need to do it this month, I think. Or yeah. at the end of the year. there's no point doing it in September or like end of August because there's there's not enough time. We're not going to mm. do any business in in summer. We very rarely do sign more than one player in in summer. Um, we've signed one player already on loan, Yamamoto. Um, which hopefully will do do wonders for our defence because he's he hasn't he hasn't played all year but he is a good player and uh, yeah I don't know but and speaking of passionate supporters as you were just now Sendai mm. their supporters are restless mm. they mm. they they just changed manager what so, so actually I mean, what, what do you what have you made of Sendai then so to so this this season so far and and under Ito generally and then now this first game under Hori yeah i think it's uh, it's another kind of funny case where i i think their their natural position is top 6 or just outside based on what i see in the squad sort of potential wise yeah so in a funny way there was actually i think they have a lot in common with Kind of in terms of going into the weekend game against Kanazar, I think they kind of had quite a few parallels in that they they both kind of underperformed quite badly this season. Yeah. Um, in Kanazawa's case, that means instead of being lower mid table, they're in the relegation zone. But in Sendai's case, it means instead of being in the top six in the play, I mean we've hardly talked about them in in the playoff contention all season, yeah, which yeah. is pretty surprising, isn't it? Um, I think, and yeah, it's a weird one. I, th- I think they've been uh, hamstrung by having a lot of players who are just out of form at the same time. Um, a few injuries as well, but the squad is absolutely massive, so it's not really something they can really lean on as an excuse. But um, I know there was all that drama, wasn't it, with the goalkeeper um, because the Ito obviously preferred uh, Hayashi, and I think he played on uh, Sunday and was captain. 
Yeah, and he made um, a couple of really good saves, actually. That, yeah, that but the fa- fans... Oh, go on. Yeah. Sorry, James. The, the, the one he clawed away from Sugura, there was also a point-blank save from Toyota in the first half that was really good. He did, yes. he did play well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but then I think there was, there was a lot of clamour from supporters for him to be dropped and replaced with, like, Yuma Obata. Mm. And then when that finally happened, and I, I actually I can't remember which game. He had a nightmare, didn't he? And Obata eventually came back in, but Obata was also <laughs> not yeah. didn't have the desired effect. So um, yeah, I think perhaps that's a symptom that just it just doesn't feel like it's going to be their year somehow. And I've started to think it doesn't perhaps doesn't matter too much who's in charge. Mm. Um, they're, they're they're perhaps not just not going anywhere this season. But they do have a really uh, a really strong squad. Uh, obviously, Yuta Goke um, perhaps wasn't his finest goal that he scored um, at, at the at the weekend because the ball was pretty much on the goal line for him. Mm. But um, he he's a good player. Motoiko Nakajima, you know, we know what quality he has in, in the midfield. I think the the only thing that surprised me, and I could be extrapolating way too much from highlights as I uh, as is my want, but um, I thought the work rate wasn't particularly high in this game. And I think that would probably yeah. concern me a lot more than um, anything tactic, tactical or, or team selection uh, wise. Because obviously it was 4-4-2 versus 4-4-2, wasn't it? At least at the kickoff. Mm-hmm. And then there was one incident in the, I think it was the first half, where Kanazawa were attacking and they'd kind of broken through the Sendai midfield. Mm-hmm. So you had a very, you could see it very clearly on the on the TV that, so Sendai's back four was like retreating to the edge of their own penalty area. Mm. And one of Sendai's holding midfielders was like trying to get back. Mm. Uh, but the other, I was looking to see where the other, the other guy from central midfield was. And I don't think he was even in the picture. Um, and he's just like jogging back kind of casually, you know, mm. and uh, it, it has been very hot uh, across Japan, James. I'm, I'm sure Kanazawa was no different on a Sunday evening, but I just thought in the, it's like, was this the first match with a new manager? Yeah, you know, it's one of these weird ones where you kind of like, don't you want to kind of impress the manager and show what you what you can do? Mm. Um, and there didn't seem to be enough of that from um, in that. I mean, that, that's one instance over a sort of ninety plus minute game. So perhaps it's you know it's breeding too much into it. But I, I thought in general they were not quite. They just weren't at it. Um, and I think that's been the case way too often this season. And I think it hasn't mattered which manager that's been with. Um, they, they just had a few too many players who were just not performing. It could, could be for all kinds of reasons, but I do think, in a similar way with with Kanazawa, they 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 need to start getting it together. I think for Sendai, I mean they're not out of the playoff picture points wise, but the way that they've been playing, um, you know, no new manager bounce at all. I think they, they just look like they're going nowhere this season. It's going to be another wasted year. I think. I don't know if you'd agree with any of that. Yeah, I they that. T- they looked. I, I think in my roundup, I, I described them as alarmingly lackluster. That first half, that wasn't the only time where they they kind of had so much space. Like every time uh, Kojima, kind of right back, got the ball, sort of around halfway, there was no one anywhere near him. He had so much space to run into, and you um, hear Oishi as well. Finding loads of space behind Sendai's left back. Mm. It, it was really odd. They they just they had sixty something percent possession in the first half, but they only had one meaningful shot on goal. Mm. And Kanazawa had like 
seven or eight really good chances. Mm. It was so strange. They were just like not at the races at all. Mm. And yeah, I think in, in 2023, you don't really want to be lining up with uh, Masashi Wakasa at right back in, in a four-man defence. That's that's yeah, not he, something that you really want to be doing. He uh, came off worse, and he had quite a good battle with Junior Kato. Came off worse at that one. They were getting at each other. Um, it was quite entertaining. But, <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, it's like, yeah, it was too easy for Kanazawa to take the lead. Um it, yeah, just really strange. They 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 looked after the the first twenty five minutes of the second half. They looked quite lively and they started creating stuff and they scored that goal. I think the player who controlled the ball out on the wing used his hands and his chest. But either way, you know they scored. Um, but I think losing twice to Kanazawa tells you quite a lot about Sendai. <laughs> And although you said they're only ten, they're ten points off the playoffs. They're not out of the picture. They're only five points clear of relegation, so they're not mm. out of that picture either. There's a group mm. of five teams on thirty-two points. Yeah, Komamoto, Yama, Yamagata, Sendai, Akita, and Jeff. Who, it could go either way. For, I mean, or oh, they could stay mid-table. They could go up, mm. get into the playoff picture, but they could sort of stutter downwards a bit, and and have a squeaky bum time in a couple of months mm. Mm. yeah it's desperately disappointing uh, season for them especially when you consider you know the the, the squad is very big and, and has lots of quality uh, in it so mm. uh, yeah I'm not really sure what the what exactly the problem is there but I, I do think sometimes I, I don't know maybe maybe we're, we're talking too much about work rate here but I think maybe just a, a few of the players just might need a bit more I get the feeling Sendai is quite a comfortable, maybe not just at the moment, but it's quite a comfortable place to play. You know, nice stadium, mm. uh, great, great support, home games might be a bit too comfortable. I actually had the same kind of feeling watching uh, watching the highlights of your Karma FC's game against uh, Kochi in the Emperor's Cup, where you would think that's the chance for fringe players to like appeal to the coach to be, you know, get some game time in J1. But I actually got the feeling a lot of the fringe players are quite happy not playing in J1. You know, they just want to take take their money and, um, you know, sit on the bench and watch. And I wonder if it's, um, I'm, I'm not saying that's the case with Sendai, but I do think we, it's probably worth mentioning, you know, to, to the listeners, you know, around the world that J2 is not always as competitive as it probably should be. Mm. Um, and I think it, it's if, if, if you're going to earn a living as a footballer, it, it might be one of the easier leagues to be in sometimes. Um, and uh, I think that's um, that you're doing a disservice to your supporters. I think when 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 you you have that mindset. So we, we we'll see. I might be uh, going to, to to be fair. Running running around in that heat is not easy. So um, that might be yeah. one one area where the J League isn't the easiest. But um yeah, I just felt like a bit more. Um, I, I just need a bit more. It sounds like British uh, football fan cliche. A bit more fight. You know, just a bit more kind of bit more will to kind of get 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 back into the game would have would have would have stood them in, in good stead but um, we, yeah. we'll see there are there are still there's still games to go aren't there so they might turn around but yeah I think like you said closer to the relegation zone in the playoffs and I think just um I, I, I can't see them getting sucked into a relegation battle really but neither can I see them making any impact on the top six and that means it could be quite a sort of toxic um sort of second half you know running for them mm-hmm. um I think fans as you mentioned not happy already 
Um, and uh, yeah, I'm not sure what. Not sure if they will be made happy by the next sort of 16 matches. So uh, <laughs> we'll see. But we'll perhaps get a, perhaps get one of our Sendai uh, Sendai community on to talk about that in, in a bit more detail at some point if we can. Yeah. So um, yeah. All right, James. I think we uh, we've hopefully given you a chance to kind of air some some grievances on the Kanazawa front. <laughs> um, without further ado, we, we we're not going to talk about any more of the the weekend uh, games this time because the the transfer window is is well and truly open. Uh, I think does, does it close on Friday? Is that right, or is it no, still? I... It still keeps going. Okay, because okay. we don't know when it closes, <laughs> but we know it's open. That's uh, yeah. that's good. Uh, good pod, good good cl- classic pod prep on, on our part. But um, what what we thought we'd do for a few minutes is just run through some of the transfers that have uh, caught our eye in J two over the last few uh, few days or the last week or so. It's been it's been quite a lot of activity, hasn't there? A lot of movement. Um, you mentioned one of those already. It's Norimichi Yamamoto. So he's gone. The defender's gone on loan from Iwata to Kanazawa. Is that is that right? Yeah. Um, so I think we can assume Iwata have stopped seeing Kanazawa as a serious uh, automatic promotion rival. Um, for this year, yeah. Which which are the other transfers that you've seen have, have caught your eye, uh, James? Well, uh, I've got to start with. Uh, well, actually, it's, it's some of the lowest scoring teams in the division who have made some interesting uh, attacking signings. Um, starting with Omiya, they've signed uh, Atsushi Kurokawa on loan from Machida. He was at Omiya a couple of years ago. Got nine nine goals for them in 2021. Um, this year he's got uh, just a couple of goals. He hasn't really featured for Machida, so pretty good move for him. And uh, Jakub Svechok, who uh, who was at Nagoya, had a, a doping ban. It was that was overturned? I think right, but he missed quite a lot of time. Mm, that's right. I think he was cleared in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Twelve goals in twenty-one games for Nagoya when he was there with them. It's a pretty good return, uh, and has been in Poland most recently. I think. I think uh, play, playing up front for Omiyas would be a more of a punishment, I think, than being <laughs> suspended. <laughs> and they've also signed uh, a defender, which is probably what they needed more than a attacker, to be perfectly honest. Takahiro Ida on loan from Kyoto, who I think hasn't played this year. So, I mean, probably a good good move for him. Um, if he wants to play, maybe not a good move uh, because... I can't imagine being part of Omiya's defence is particularly fun. Mm. Um, and then Tochigi as well made some interesting signings. Ishmaela from Kyoto on loan, who um, has been in, in Moldova, actually, on loan from Kyoto, I think. Mm. So, been scoring mm. in Moldova. But he, he was he worked with, with Yu Tokisaki at Fukushima a couple of years ago. So so reuniting there, that might be a good move for, for him and for... Tokisaki because Tochigi need goals. They've they've only scored twenty two goals this year. Um, they are almost the lowest scorers, and they've also signed um, Ryotaro Ishida from Nagoya, a midfielder. Might be good for them as well, I think. And then um, one that came through today, Yamaguchi have signed a Brazilian. Uh, Juninho, but not that Juninho or that Juninho. The other, the other Juninho, <laughs> another Juninho from Indonesia, an Indonesian team. Uh, he's a striker, full transfer, and that they're the joint lowest scorers with Akita, 21 goals, to, uh, Yamaguchi. So, although they are playing well at the moment, I think obviously they, they need a bit more up front. 
So those. Oh, and then one more. Uh, Dudu, our old jug-eared friend, has <laughs> moved from uh, from Imabari, where he had eight goals and three assists in eighteen games, to Jeff on a full transfer. The Jeff mm. haven't have only scored twenty six goals. So again, that's probably a good move for them. Um. Mm. Uh, a, le- a legendary, uh, legendary shit house, of course, Dudu. Yes, if uh, a match made in heaven, perhaps Dudu and Jeff. Let's. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I, I, those those are the ones that stood out. I've, I've actually listed quite a few there. They stood out for me. Um, also, because I'm quite anxious that teams down the bottom seem to be strengthening quite a lot. Of course, some of these players might turn out to to be terrible, or just not to settle, or, or not even to play. But from a from a fellow relegation battling teams support a point of view quite anxious that Omiya are coming in a couple of weeks with Sverchok and Kurokawa and and so mm. yeah. what, what about you any 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 of these ones that you think uh, might be really good or really bad or anything else that, that's that's to take yeah it? well uh, yeah I think I think from from a Kanazawa slash you know relegation uh, dogfighter perspective, I think it's pretty fair to say that Olmir and Tochigi have uh, both strengthened. Mm. Um, I think you you're very right in what you said that Olmir's big problem is probably at the back, you know, rather than up front. So I'm still not convinced that they have enough there to get them out of the uh, quite considerable hole they've they've dug for themselves at mm. the bottom of J2. I, I still am coming around to thinking that they might be in J3. Uh, next year, obviously, uh, Switchok and uh, Kurokawa will add goals, but um, there's a lot of pressure on Takuri Ida to do more than just a point and stand with his hands on his hips um, at the back. Uh, I think they could probably do with another goalkeeper, to be honest, if, if they can get one before the transfer window uh, slams slams only shut. Got five. They've only got five, yeah, but um, yeah, defending just in general it seems to give them a lot of trouble. I think um, Tochigi as well, obviously you mentioned the short goals is Myler will probably help with that, though I'm not sure he's really proven at J2 level, and he scored a few goals in J3, then went straight up to J1, didn't he, with, with mm. Kyoto pretty much. Um, Tochigi have also added a defender, uh, Rafael, Brazilian defender from a club called Annapolis in Brazil. I believe they play in the fourth division mm. of Brazilian football, so I'd be interested to hear what impact, if any, he has. I, I don't know anything about Brazilian football, I don't know what the level is like, but the fourth division seems low to me. Mm. Um, yeah, Akira Desaro, of course, the Bald Eagles actually leaving us. He's he's uh, gone from Shimizu to Shonan uh, on on a full transfer. I guess they've obviously lost uh, Shuto Machino. Yeah, he's leaving us, but might be returning. Yes, where yeah. season's going? Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But um, Desaro, um, really, really good player. But you think if there's one team that can afford to lose a good striker, it's probably Shimizu this year. Yeah, um, they are definitely not short of. Uh, the goals are they so um i think there's perhaps one that makes sense for both both parties that one um one that doesn't make a lot of sense for me is rui suyoshi who's gone from jeff to uh, jeff chiba to okayama on loan uh, normally this would be fairly unremarkable other than the fact that he is the second player to move to uh, to Okayama from Jeff on loan this season. If you remember, Solomon Sakuragawa mm. moved on loan at the start of the season, which seemed like a, a bit of a head-scratcher at the time. So I'm not really sure why Jeff is so keen to strengthen uh, Okayama's ranks this season. Um, possibly it's something to do with the coach um, being uh, um, Takashi uh, Kiyama as a former Jeff uh, man. So perhaps there's a connection there. But um, Rui Tsuyoshi, he was a regular fixture in the, the starting lineup under the previous Jeff manager, uh, Yoon, 
you know, John Quan and as kind of out of favour under the, 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 the current uh, manager. So it seems a strange one to me. It was hard to think that he wouldn't be useful to Jeff, but then perhaps he's been bombed out. It's not, not in the manager's plans, but that was one that caught my eye. Uh, as well and uh, one that I just noticed actually uh, hot off the press that came through um, on, I saw it on Twitter earlier really tonight is it Rio Takai uh, the midfielder going from Machida to Yamagata on a full transfer I, I think that's quite a surprising one because obviously Machida massive squad and uh, you know one foot and f- a few toes in J1 for next season so perhaps they can afford to shuffle the pack but um, yeah Rio Takai really really good player uh, and a really really good pickup for Yamagata uh, and it's a position central midfield where I thought they were pretty strong. And they've got they've got um, Wataru Tanaka I really like, and yeah. uh, Ibuki uh, Fujita who's perhaps getting on a bit in years, but um, is, is a good player. So whether how how much game time he'll get, I'm really curious about. But that really strengthens the Amagatha for me. So that, that's an interesting signing, and I think a real sign of how confident Machida are that they're they're going up because they're prepared to let a really really good player uh, leave in the in the transfer window. So. Um, yeah, th- those are the ones that, that stood out for me, but I'm sure there will be more business uh, in the transfer market before the window closes at some uh, unspecified future date. So we might have to have a similar conversation about this, James, in the near near future. Yeah, and uh, yeah. we haven't even mentioned uh, Byron Vasquez from Verdi to Machida and all oh, the uh, yeah. drama at the National Stadium. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they they went to the full. They went. They they bothered announcing him, even though he wasn't in the match day. That the is, match day squad, didn't they? That is uh, impressive commitment to shithousery mm. from the uh, stadium announcer. Mm. Mm. That uh, reminds me of uh, years ago when Charlton played Palace, and the uh, Charlton stadium announcer announced the team as Crystal Palace. <laughs> I remember reading was, about uh, that. Yeah, <laughs> he was relieved of his duties after that match. Relieved of his duties. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, what they call bants nowadays, James. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good bants. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think the thing about that Byron Vasquez one is, uh, to be honest, you've been watching the J League for long enough that a player moving from Tokyo Verdi to literally anywhere else is not that surprising. Yeah. Um, but. From for the team in second place in the league to sell a regular starter to the t- to the team in first place, mm. um, I think that's a really really illuminating glimpse into how the finances of the J League, especially J two, work. Yeah, that um you can't imagine like um you know I don't know who's who's the top two in the Premier League last year Manchester City and, and Arsenal. You, you can't imagine Arsenal selling one of their best places in Manchester City during the running, you know. Yeah. Um, it just, just wouldn't probably, well, I mean, I suppose anything's possible, but, it, you know, just really, really instructive and very kind of J-League-y transfer, I felt. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Been been quite a lot of good uh, good needle in the J-League uh, regarding FC to, uh, Tokyo Verde recently, because they had that, that derby with Machida, which had the Byron Vasquez spice added, and then they had the, the match against FC Tokyo, uh, in the Empress Cup, which you know, eggs, eggs being thrown at Verdi signage, that kind of thing, um, all very, all very uh, sort of small time, uh, small, small, small beer by European standards, but I'm um, quite entertaining, I think. Um, yeah, great childishness. It's, it's fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Japanese people far, far too much maturity in the, in the J League these days. Need to, need to bring it down. Doo doo, doo will do his best uh, to do that. I think. At, oh, uh, at Jeff, no doubt. Balloons in his socks and all that. <laughs> 
yeah, I still think the weird thing about Dudu is what he was doing in J3 in the first place because his record yeah. at Imabari was really good. I think he had eight goals from 16 mm. games uh, this season, so I'm not really sure why why did no J, J, J sorry, I'll try that again. Why did no J2 teams want him uh, you know, at the end of last uh, season? Seems a bit of a weird one, but um, perhaps his injury record counted against him or um, teams didn't realise they, they, they would I think Jeff probably didn't realise they were going to be that short of goals right so um, they, they yeah. thought Hiroto Goya might eventually score one but he hasn't hasn't done it yet yeah and so. Tomei Miki's not not scored as many as he had in the previous like the last two years so mm. yeah mm. yeah they, they they let um, Sakuragawa go um and I guess they thought Buanica would would cover that as well, but Buanica's mostly coming off the bench, and he hasn't scored that many. So no, oh, there is um, on good that you mentioned Buanica. There is a pretty funny. Uh, I think it was an Instagram picture that he posted of him as a kid um, mm. meeting Dudu at Kashiwa's training ground. Yeah. Uh, and then now they're teammates. This is the yeah, it's like a before and after. Did you see that one? Yeah, That's classic. Uh, yeah, really, really uh, heartwarming, uh, heartwarming stuff. And uh, yeah, hopefully that will that that hotline will lead to some more goals for Jeff between now now and the end of the season. We'll we'll see. We'll see. All right, James. I think uh, time uh, as always getting away from us here. So if we yeah. if we're okay with Kanazawa and Sendai and uh, a transfer talk, maybe you can help me with a, a preview of the J two action coming up this uh, weekend. Uh, if that's okay. So we're already on round 27, uh, incredibly enough. And most of the games are going to be played this Saturday, July 22nd. So there are two games, I think, at 6pm, if I have that right. So leaders, Machida, are at home to Jeff Chiba. That's uh, first hosting 15th. And uh, then Tochigi host Shimizu at the same time. That's 20th place hosting 6th. Then five more games are at 7 p.m. on Saturday. There's Oita hosting Iwaki, so fourth place against 19th. Tokushima against Kofu, uh, similar, it's 18th hosting 5th in that game. Intriguing game for Yamagata as they host Nagasaki. That's 12th place against uh, 7th, but uh, Nagasaki are a level on points with the 6th place team Shimizu. So Yamagata against Nagasaki is on the slate. Yamaguchi against Akita, 16th against 14th. I believe Yamaguchi are on six, clay, uh, six straight clean sheets, aren't they? So if they can make it seven against Akita, that would be a really impressive stuff. And uh, yeah, Kanazawa, uh, James down in 21st. They go away to 10th placed Fujieda. So that's uh, kind of just about half of the weekend fixtures coming up on Saturday. Any, anything that tickles your fancy there, James? Uh, yeah, Yamaguchi against Akita, I think, is interesting. So Yamaguchi are, are, are doing really well at the moment since Eschneider took over. They're, they're on an excellent run of form. They're moving gradually, I think, moving. They're in the right direction. Uh, they're four points clear of relegation at the moment, but they, they're, they're playing pretty well. Their game against Iwaki was really entertaining. You know, it was a nil-nil, but it was a really good game. I really enjoyed it. Um Akita, on the other hand, they're kind of stuttering and they had a weekend off, which uh, I don't know how that, you know, it could, could could be that they're rested, but it could also be that they're rusty. Um, I think, yeah, Yamaguchi will fancy their chances of a clean sheet against Akita because they're, they're very low scorers. But also Akita will fancy their chances of a clean sheet against Yamaguchi because they're also low scorers. So... Um, for all probably, 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also interested in Tochigi against Shimizu. I want to see how Toch- if Tochigi's new signings have arrived, how they fit in, if they're, if they're featured. And also because um, Tochigi's defence is pretty good and Shimizu's attack is pretty good. So see which of those wins out. Mm. And of course, Fujieda Kanazawa. Fujieda have uh, a terrible defence. So do Kanazawa. And they both have pretty good attacks. So, nil-nil, uh, probably. Mm. No, it's not nil-nil, because it's Kanazawa. We've only had one of those. But I yeah, was they're, thinking 3-2, three, two, yeah. three, two, but I don't know which way in that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it will be, it'll be. It should be a good game. The, the game between uh, the, those teams earlier in the season was a good one. It was one all. Um, had that disallowed goal from a corner for Kanazawa. But that, that was an entertaining match. So mm. this probably, probably will be as well. Um, mm. Yeah. What about you? What 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 are you interested in in the, on Saturday? Yeah. No. Plenty. I I agree with you. I think I'd I'd go along with all of that. You mentioned Akita have had the the, the weekend off. Uh, you know, so should be well rested for the game at Yamaguchi. Obviously, the circumstances are um, not ideal up in Akita at the moment with the flooding. So, mm. like you said, difficult to know how that might might affect them. Uh, you know, mentally or f- physically, having the rest is good. Uh, mm-hmm. But mentally, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, the same goes for Machida, right? Because they were the team that were due to play at Akita uh, in yeah. the last round. So Machida have had a week's rest and then host Jeff Chiba. I think you'd be uh, probably a bit worried about that if you're a Jeff supporter because they had quite a hard workout uh, at the National Stadium against Shimizu mm-hmm. uh, in round 26. So going away to Machida straight after that is um, probably not ideal. But it'll be interesting to see how it how it goes. We might get some uh, some hot uh, doo-doo action. Uh, mm-hmm. we'll, uh, we'll wait and see. Um, I think uh, I'll, I'll move on and talk about the... Oh, one more. It, Oita against Iwaki. Um, it seems like a sort of straightforward game on paper, fourth place against 90. But Iwaki have been doing pretty well recently uh, too, haven't they? I think they're on a kind of sixth game on beaten streak, even though they're still down at the bottom. So I wouldn't maybe think that game is a foregone conclusion necessarily for, for Oita, although Oita uh, had that good win, uh, a couple of good wins recently as, as well, haven't they? Was it uh, Kumamoto they won away? They won the yes. Kumo to the weekend. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're doing okay. But I think Iwaki, uh, not to be underestimated at the moment, I don't think. Um, James, the, the rest of the games uh, are on Sunday and Monday uh, this week. So I'll, I'll run, run through those uh, real quick uh, as well. On Sunday, July the 23rd, just one game at 6pm. But it uh, looks like a, a big one. It's big boy football, isn't it? It's Mito against Omiya. So 17th place Mito hosting the bottom place team uh, Omiya. Then two games at 7pm, it's Gunma against Iwata. Uh, Iwata in second at the moment. They go away to eighth place and um, very uh, tough not to crack this season. Gunma, and a game that I really like the look of also at 7pm on Sunday, Sendai hosting Tokyo Verdi. So the third place team, Tokyo Verdi, going away to 13th place there. Sendai, who we've trashed on this pod, uh, James. So we'll see how that goes. And then, I'm not sure why, but on Monday evening, July the 24th, there's the last game from the round 27 slate. That's at 7pm as well, and it's Kumamoto against Okayama, 11th, hosting 9th in the table. I assume that's just been a stadium issue, that maybe Kumamoto Stadium's not available at the weekend, so they're playing on Monday night instead. But, um, James, what about the Sunday-slash-Monday games? I hadn't even noticed there was a Monday game until you mentioned it just then. I had completely missed that. Uh but that that would be, be interesting. Kumamoto, Okayama quite close in the table. It's still, yeah, three points between them. So, um, but Kumamoto's home form is awful, as Gary was saying the other week, and uh, they lost again at home to Oita last weekend. So, 
Yeah, they, they really need to get themselves in gear at home. Uh, they're on a bit of a bad run at the moment. And mm. I'm quite interested in Gumma Iwata because Iwata have surpassed my expectations. They're up into second now. I thought they were going to struggle with their um, you know, transfer ban and stuff, but they're, they're playing some really nice high-scoring football at the moment and um, looking pretty good. But then Gumma have, have, have also surpassed my expectations this year and they're playing really nice football. They scored three really good goals at the weekend. All three of their goals against Kofu were excellent. Mm. And, uh, so that, that should be a good one. And also Mito Omiya. Mito, they blow hot and cold. And um, uh, but uh, like same as as with Tochi for Omiya, I'm quite intrigued to see if their new signings have arrived and if they play and how they fit in and how they get on. Um, so I think yeah, they're, they're, there's loads of good stuff coming up this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I think yeah, Sendai against Tokyo Verde. I mean, we mentioned Sendai um, just looking out of sorts and not really at it in the last couple of months. It's the first home game for the new manager this time and Verdi's away form is excellent. Mm. So it'll be really interesting to see which way that one goes. I don't think it'll be an easy ride for, for Verdi at all, but um, Sendai really do need to um, yeah, get some momentum from somewhere, don't they? Mito against Ormia. Well, I mean, if Mito win that game, that'll be two two home wins on the bounce to move them away from the drop zone and it's going to keep Ormia right in the right in the brown stuff isn't it? I think Ormia just can't afford to lose that game but um as uh, Steve Steve Fry was pointing out they need wins right now so mm. uh, perhaps not even enough to it's not even enough to be going into that game trying to just take a point back to back to Saitama they need they need to be trying to go and uh, go and win that one don't they so mm. um uh, we'll see don't don't Mito have is it um Takeda wasn't he wasn't he at Omiya last season in the in the midfield is that right and Hidetoshi uh Takeda I think was 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 there um mm. just just googling him now to make sure but I think there's there is this uh, pattern right of um you know ex Omiya players tend to score or yes. do well um against mm. against Omiya so I'm just I'm just uh, sorry James this was probably yeah, was, what I should have prepared in advance yeah. Yeah, but I think they have at least one one ex Ormia player uh, in the lineup, and that usually is bad bad news for the squirrels. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll see. I'm I'm ever optimistic about Ormia, but um, well, I'm not that optimistic at the moment. I'll, I'll put it's it that way. Getting harder though, isn't it? It's getting harder to be optimistic. Yeah, that's that's a good way a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, James, th- thanks for your thanks for your input. I think it's ages since we had a, a good uh, a good chat, especially about Kanazawa. So it's uh, much much appreciated. And uh, yeah, we've got some transfer talking as well. And a, a full preview of the the round twenty seven games coming up this weekend. So I think we can uh, we can rest on our laurels now after a job a job well done. I think. Yeah, thanks for letting me get all that off my chest. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was good to uh, to vent. No, that's okay. The invoice invoice is in the in the post, so uh, <laughs> don't worry. No, no, it's all good, all good. Um, James, hopefully we can get together uh, for a chat uh, again uh, soon next week, perhaps, or or in the in the near future. But for now, that's where we will leave J two uh, for this week. And uh, thanks as always uh, for giving us a listen and a download. And if you support us and the big J Talk podcast on Patreon, we, we're very grateful for that support as well. So thank you for that. Um, but don't go anywhere. In a moment, uh, Magic Mike Innes will take over. He has all of the latest. J3 news as usual in JTalk Short Corner. Uh, that's coming up next. Hello everyone and welcome to JTalk Short Corner, the mini pod that keeps you up to date with events in J3 of the J League. 
I'm your host Mike Innes and in this episode I'll be looking back on fixtures in round 18 of the J3 season as well as previewing the round 19 matches coming up this weekend. Before I review the league games, just to jump back to last Wednesday, the 12th of July, when Katare Toyama and FC Gifu at least began their Emperor's Cup third round ties. On 39 minutes, Gifu took the lead against Avispa Fukuoka, Ryoma Kita curling a high free kick into the box, and Stibia Ebs Mikani's header setting up Ipe Hada for a 20-yard shot through a crowded area inside the post. Avispa equalised with six minutes to go via a glancing header, and then claimed the tie with a header from a corner five minutes from the end of extra time. Final score, Fukuoka 2, Gifu 1. As jovial John Steele mentioned in the JTET Cup Roundup episode, Toyama's game with Albinex Niigata was interrupted by thunderstorms on multiple occasions and, in an outcome no one will consider optimal, the decision was made to abandon the tie. This means the teams reconvene on Wednesday the 19th of July to play the remaining 15 minutes of extra time with the score standing at Toyama 2, Niigata 3. Coverage of that game next week. On to the league, and there were five games on Saturday the 15th. Leaders Ehime FC left it very late, but came away with three points from their trip north to Vanarane Hachiohe. Last week's hat-trick hero Shunpei Fukahori and Shunsuke Motegi both missed opportunities to put the mighty Mikans in front, but having successfully held the visitors at bay, it was Van Rade who broke the deadlock with 13 minutes to go, Kai Sesaki flicking it through for Naoya Senoo, who took advantage of a lack of concentration from Sora Ogawa to steal in and slip his shot inside the post. It wasn't until the 90th minute that Ehime drew level, Asahi Yada sending in a corner that was flicked on by Liki Matsuda and finished by rookie Yuta Fukazawa. And the winning goal came barely a minute later, a bit of a disaster for the home side, trying to play safety first, but Yuki Aida overhit his back pass, Yusuke Taniguchi couldn't control it, and Matsuda pounced to steer the ball into an unguarded net. Final score, Hachinohe won Ehime 2. Van Rade had done the hard work, but threw it away at the end. They slip to 8th. A dogged performance from Ehime, but exactly the sort of result that sustains a promotion challenge. They stay top. Keeping up the pressure behind them are Katare Toyama, who, despite their midweek exertions, managed a home win over FC Ryukyu. Very few clear chances in this one, especially not from the visitors, mystifyingly unwilling to put their hosts under pressure. The only goal came ten minutes before the break. An outswinging corner by Katari debutant Yoshiki Takahashi met with a header from the unmarked Hiroyuki Tsubokawa, which gave Junto Taguchi no chance. Final score, Toyama 1, Ryukyu 0. Three points and a clean sheet constitutes job done for Michiharu Otagiri's Katare, who climb back into the promotion places. They're now second. 
you never really know what you're going to get from Ryukyu under Tetsuhiro Kina. This a forgettable performance. They drop to 13th. Extra time. Game of the day was at lowly SC Sagamihana, where the visitors were Nana Club in fourth at start of play. Things started to hot up on 35 minutes when Sagamihana's Carlos Duke had a lob cleared off the line by Hayato Horiuchi. And if home fans thought that was unlucky, they only had to wait five minutes for a better example of how, when you're at the bottom, things just don't seem to go your way. That's when the hosts conceded a penalty. Nana's Shota Yomesaka throwing himself to the ground after appearing to engineer contact with defender Kor Watahiki. The defender bought it, Hayato Asakawa converted it, Sagamihara were one down at the break. And that became two barely a minute after the restart. Megumu Nishida swinging over across, Daisuke Kato doing a feeble job at cutting it out, Yomasaka finishing at the far post. In the last couple of episodes, I've asked where Sagamihana's next win might be coming from. The problem being not that they're a bad side. They have some good players. No one has given them a heavy beating. But that, under Kazuyuki Toda, the Green and Blacks seem to have no belief that they can win. And so they don't. 2-0 down against the team with the best defensive record in J3. Clearly, they weren't going to win here. Ah, but football in general, and the J-League in particular, had other ideas. On 55 minutes, Takumi Nishiyama received a pass from Taira Maeda, brilliantly escaped a challenge from Daisei Suzuki, and if this week you only watch one bit of J3, make sure it's that, and laser-beamed his shot into the far corner. Seven minutes later, Sagami had a drew level, an exquisite pass from Ryo Yoshitake, setting up Watahiki, who hit the byline and crossed for Takumu Fujinuma to head in. And the miracle materialised five minutes from time. Tsubasa Ando outscrapping Suzuki and centering for the inrushing Riku Hashimoto to blast it joyfully into the net. Final score, Sagami had a 3 Nana 2, a sensational result for Toda's team after 15 winless games. They're still bottom, but they have hope. Julian Marin Basilo's Nana showing a rare defensive fragility, and they drop to 6th. After their cup game, FC Gifu were at home to an FC Imabari, missing the suspended Marcus Vinicius and top scorer Dudu prior to it transpired, Monday's announcement of his transfer to Jeff United Chiba. Tomoya Ugajin got lucky to put Gifu ahead on 22 minutes, a cross which drifted over Genta Ito and in at the far post, only for Kazaki Nakagawa to pull the visitors' level with a penalty, awarded when Kazuya Ando collapsed to the floor as if he'd been shot after the lightest of touches, or perhaps even no touch at all from the unfortunate Ryu Kawakami. A birthday present from the referee, perhaps, as it was Ando's 26th. The home side retook the lead five minutes before the break in more edifying style. Toma Murata's through pass picked up by Charles Unduka, who found space just outside the box and curled in a beauty with his left foot. 
Imabali's second equaliser of the evening came on the hour, a fluffed pass by Ugajin, eventually reaching Seigo Take, whose cross was finished at the far post by Takatora Kondo for his first of the season. Gifu then went on to have two goals chalked off for reasons known only to the referee and Alino, Murata and, in the fifth minute of stoppage time, Korsuke Fujioka, the unlucky players here. Final score, Gifu 2, Imabari 2, all very unsatisfactory for Gifu, who put on a decent showing and deserved the points. They're now ninth. Imabari continued to be a frustrating watch under Riki Takagi, but got lucky here. They stay fifth. At home to Tegabajano Miyazaki, Kamatamari Sanuki managed a second straight win, a feat they haven't accomplished since April last year. In only the seventh minute, the Miyazaki defence was caught napping at an Ikki long throw, comfortably headed in by Himan Morimoto. Sanuki keeper Yusuke Imamura put in a decent shift throughout this game as Tegevajaro applied the pressure. The Noodle Boy's other key player was Soshi Iwagishi, who followed up his match-winning display at YSCC last week by making it 2-0 early in the second half, as he got the better of Ikuru Aoyama to head in Nao Eguchi's corner. The visitors pulled one back with 16 minutes to go, a penalty awarded when Kakeru Aoto's shot struck the blameless Yuto Mori on the arm. Former Kamatamari player Aoto then converted the spot kick. Final score though, Sanuki 2, Miyazaki 1. Kamatamari's recent improvement continues to gather pace and they move up one place to 16th. Tegevajaro, on the other hand, are looking notably unimpressive as an attacking force. They slip to 15th. Then on Sunday the 16th, Azul Claro Numezu hosted Kagoshima United in a game between two of the most competitive sides in the division. Numezu, the surprise package, Kagoshima, many people's pre-season favourites. It was a match that lived up to its billing, the visitors coming within a hair's breadth of opening the scoring on 17 minutes when, following a short corner routine, Masayoshi Endo hit one post and the ball bounced across the goal for Kenta Hirose to hit the other. And midway through the first half, Hirose's long pass fed Kota Hoshi, who raced into the penalty area and hit the back of the net with his shot, only for it to be ruled out for offside. Having survived those near misses, this resilient Azul Claro team went in front on 36 minutes, the impressive Takumi Hammer creating the chance from nothing, harassing Hoshi out of possession and then exchanging passes with Noah Kenshin Brown before clipping in a neat finish. In the opening moments of the second half, the Smoking Volcanoes came close to an equaliser. Frank Romero's shot cleared off the line by Tatsuya Anzai. But in the 62nd minute, Numazu claimed the crucial second goal, the unlikely figure of centre-back Tomoki Fujisaki, leading a break from the edge of his own penalty area, charging upfield, surveying his options, and then deciding simply to lash in a low shot from 20 yards. 
The home side almost repeated that trick in injury time. Another counter-attack, this time ending in Naoki Sato sending a screamer against the angle of post and bar. And with the last touch of this tremendous game, Kagoshima had a second goal disallowed. Jin Hanato offside when he headed in Eisuke Watanabe's free kick. Final score, Numazu 2, Kagoshima 0. Azul Claro now fourth in the table and make no mistake, they're there because they're one of the best teams in the division. Kagoshima are as well, but they didn't have the incisiveness of the home side and they slip to third. Following the midweek departure of coach Toshihiro Hattori, Mitsumasa Yoda's first game in temporary charge of Fukushima United was at the Sun Pro Alwyn Stadium, home of Matsumoto Yamaga. Yoda went with more of the same in his lineup and formation, making only a single change from the match which turned out to be Hattori's last. And Fukushima found themselves a goal behind in only the fourth minute when Naoya Suzu was outjumped by Len Komatsu, who headed in across from Yota Shimokawa. 13 for the season now for Komatsu. But Yoda's team weren't scared to play on the front foot, forcing a pair of good saves from Tomohiko Murayama and then drawing level eight minutes before half-time, rookie Ryo Shiohama bundling it in from close range after Hiroto Yukie had headed Kota Mori's free kick back from the far post. 1-1 at the break and an eventful second period was to follow. Yamaga on the attack and bringing a brave save out of Kaito Yamamoto in a goal scramble. Visiting substitute Shoki Nagano hitting the post from 20 yards. And it was Fukushima who claimed a precious win with a goal three minutes from time when Suzu floated a free kick into the box. Shun Orbu glanced it on. Yukie chested it down to swivel and crash his shot in off the crossbar. Final score, Matsumoto 1, Fukushima 2. Typical flaky football from Yamaga. There's no way they should lose at home to a team like Fukushima, but they did, and they're 10th. Crucial couple of games coming up for the visitors for whom this was the best possible preparation. They stay 18th. Having scored none and conceded eight in the last two games, it was no surprise to see AC Negano Parseiro go a goal down in the 10th minute of their match at home to Gainare Tottori. Yuta Togashi hit the post, a goalmouth scramble followed, and Junya Suzuki sent in a low ball for Taku Ushinohama, who controlled it, turned and flicked it in with the outside of his left foot. More of a shock was that Nagano drew level inside three minutes. Yuta Sato and Shoma Otoizumi combining down the right-hand side. Sato's well-placed ball into the box, setting up Teru Ando to score from ten yards. Early in the second half, Paseiro had a great chance to go in front when Hiroki Yamamoto played a ball into the box for Hayate Sugi, who hurled himself groundwards after a brush with Keita Tanaka. Another dodgy penalty on a weekend of them, Yamamoto fired his spot kick well off target. 
but with seven minutes remaining, Ando flighted one into the Totori area, and Yuma Funabashi glanced it in to put Nagano 2-1 up, and within spitting distance of their first win since May. In the third minute of stoppage time, though, Gainare grabbed a point. Hideyatsu Ozawa drilling into the top corner, a venomously struck free kick. Final score, Nagano 2, Totori 2, gut-wrenching for the home side. Coach Yuki Stalf, after the final whistle, picking up a yellow card for his trouble, although Parseiro do climb to 14th. Gainade are still unbeaten under Kohei Masamoto, and the draw means they stay 12th. The only thing to say about Iwate Gruja Morioka against YSCC Yokohama is that it was heading for a goalless draw until the 83rd minute when Gruja's Kenneth Otabo hit a long crossfield pass to Toi Kagami who advanced into the area and struck an angled shot that deflected off Minoru Hanafisa and in. Final score Iwate 1, YSCC 0. If either side deserved to win this game, it was at least the Paper Cranes who jumped to 11th. YSCC's burst of form earlier in the season is well and truly over, and they're back down to 17th. And lastly, FC Osaka dominated their game at Giravans Kitakyushu but couldn't score. The closest they came, a Daigo Furukawa header against the crossbar. Giravance continue the defensive focus which has yielded nine points from the last six games, but they didn't have an attempt on goal until injury time, and that, from Ryusei Nose, dribbled ten yards wide of the target. Final score, Kitakyushu nil, Osaka nil. Giravance at least looked smart in their red and black summer uniforms, they remain 19th. Osaka picked the wrong day to be woeful in front of goal, but they do climb to 7th. So now to run through the top and bottom of the league standings after round 18. The top six are Ehime with 35 points, Toyama with 33, Kagoshima 31, Numazu 30, Imabari, 28, and Nara, 27. At the other end of the table, the bottom six are Miyazaki and Sanuki with 22 points, YSCC with 21, Fukushima, 18, Kitakyushu, 15, and bottom of the table with 13, Sagamihara. Before I take a quick look ahead to the round 19 fixtures this weekend, just a reminder I'll be covering in next week's episode the conclusion on Wednesday the 19th of the Emperor's Cup tie between Toyama and Albinex Niigata. As for the league, there are eight games on Saturday the 22nd. And it's just Toyama's luck as after their cup shenanigans, they're looking at a tough match away to Nara. Can Numazu get further into contention by winning at Miyazaki? Imabari travel to Wooden Spooner's Sagamihana. Big game at the foot of the table. Fukushima against Kitakyushu. In the middle of the standings, Matsumoto host Hachinohe. Gifu are at home to Nagano. Ryukyu take on YSCC. And Totori play host to 
Iwate. Then on Sunday the 23rd, it's the match of the round, third against first, Kagoshima against Ehime. And finally, Osaka are at home to Sanuki. With all the week's business seen to then, that's it for this mini-pod. All that remains is for me to say, thanks for listening, enjoy your football, and see you next time. Bye for now. Thank you.